using local wood and, and wood that's sustainably managed, which cedar in Maine is, has been really kind of one of our first core values. It's an age-old question. Can you do well by doing good? Welcome to the Grow for Good podcast, where we speak with leaders who strive to make a positive impact on the world. Here's the host of the Grow for Good podcast, Jed Morey. If you've ever hit a point in your life where you wonder what it's all for and dream of throwing it all away to fulfill your passions, our guest today has probably already done it. Mike Lavecchia, founder of Grain Surfboards, is like a living, breathing X Games character. Skateboarding, biking, snowboarding before everyone else did it, sailing, and surfing. If you've ever sat on your couch watching somebody else rip it, shred it, jump it, sail it, Mike's probably already done that too. But it was Mike's love for the sea and his experience sailing from Maine to the Caribbean that sparked what would become an incredible career as a craftsman. He began working on boat building as a young man and then decided to apply his building skills to one of his greatest loves, surfing. Moving back to Maine full-time, Mike and a couple of friends set about building classic surfboards that were completely new to an entire generation of surfers, an environmentally conscious generation with an appreciation for sustainability. As the industry grew over the years, Mike and company realized that the boards themselves had moved far from where they started and that the materials used in constructing boards were actually having a negative impact on the environment. Today, Grain Surfboards is an iconic member of the surfing community, and their boards are sought after by surfing enthusiasts from around the world. Success hasn't stopped Mike and his crew from innovating and finding creative partnerships and collaborations that introduce the simple majesty of wood surfboards to the next generation. We'll break it all down in our conversation with Mike Lavecchia as we get a lesson in surf culture, how his boards are handcrafted with love, and delve into yet another inspiring story of beneficial entrepreneurship on Grow for Good. Welcome back to the Grow for Good podcast. I'm Jed Morey, CEO of Morey Creative Studios, executive producer of Newsbeat, and host of Grow for Good. So we've done a fair bit of coverage so far on eco-businesses that are helping to remove debris from within our oceans. This week, we're going for a ride on top of the ocean and speaking with Mike Lavecchia, founder of Grain Surfboards and the person behind the wood board movement. Mike, welcome to Grow for Good. Thanks, Jed. Happy to be here. So, Mike, one of your founding principles was to create a surfboard for an entirely new generation of eco-conscious surfers. And for me, this kind of brings to mind the old adage of everything old is new again. Can you just start us off by describing the rich history that you're actually tapping into by creating wood boards? Yeah, for sure. You know, when we started to kind of get into surfing and, and started thinking about the concept of building surfboards, you know, I came at it from a woodworking background. That was kind of what I've spent the last bunch of years doing before this. And um, just kind of the idea of working with wood was just such a natural. And, and, you know, the concept of kind of starting with a foam blank, which is what most of the industry is kind of using these days, it, it just wasn't enticing really at all. At the time, of course, like most people working at home, filling your garage or your basement or your living room with foam dust just wasn't really appealing. So we kind of came at it from thinking about how to build a board really based around some of the knowledge that I had around kind of boat building and things like that. But looking back at kind of the history of surfing, there's so much that happened 
over the years to kind of evolve surfboards to where they are today. You know, people have been surfing for a thousand plus years. And you look back at the history all the way through the 1950s, people were riding wooden surfboards. That was the material that was available. And that's kind of what made sense. Wood boards evolved over a long period of time from, you know, big, heavy, solid wood boards that weighed a couple hundred pounds to kind of through the 30s and 40s, you know, they started evolving into kind of a hollow board using modern materials, you know, plywoods were becoming available and better glues and things like that. There was a guy named Tom Blake, who was a big swimmer and surfer back in the 30s. And he started to think about building wood boards in a way that made them lighter, made them more kind of attainable for people. And um, there was a short period of time where where hollow boards were really the, that's what you saw anywhere you went around the country in Hawaii, wherever people were surfing, they were surfing these big hollow wood boards. They used to call them toothpicks or cigar boxes or different things. As those became more and more popular, kind of the advent of foam and, and fiberglass took over and uh, changed things pretty quickly. So all those wood boards really disappeared, kind of got hidden in people's basements or hanging under their decks and things like that. So we tried to look back a little bit at, at the history of wood boards and the evolution that took place through the early 1900s and kind of start that evolution over again. But we always talk about it like we're obviously we're gaining all this knowledge from the rapid evolution of surfboard designs through kind of the 50s and 60s and 70s. Surfing changed really quickly in those 20 or 30 years because foam made it possible. You know, boards were much easier to produce less expensive, lighter, mm-hmm. you know, movies started to be made, Gidget came around and, you know, all of a sudden surfing was really popular. So we kind of looked at it as taking everything that people learned through those sh- that short period of time, kind of the shortboard revolution, if you will, as boards evolved, shapes evolved, but, you know, combine it with where wooden surfboards left off and try to kind of marry those two and find a way to build a wooden board that was traditional and durable and beautiful and, you know, environmentally friendly, but combine it with modern performing features. So there's a lot to delve into, even though, you know, it seems like, oh, it's just a single product line. And there's a lot I want to get to. In terms of the marketplace, I wonder how you're perceived in the surfing community. Like, do you align with the so-called purists or has this begun to like regain some momentum in the broader marketplace? Is this does the surfing community look at it and say, I might get a foam board, I might get a wood board, and then there's maybe sort of a heart conscious decision that makes them go with wood? Is it mainstream? Like, where do you fit today? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I would love to say that wood boards have, you know, a really big percentage of the industry, but, it, you know, they're really still kind of a small niche product. One thing that happened kind of, again, historically is Going back in 2005 or early 2006, a company named Clark Foam, um, they used to produce most of the foam blanks, like the actual enlarged blank surfboards. Mm-hmm. They produced them about 90% for the worldwide surf industry. They shut down. They went out of business. And it all happened very fast. And it really kind of turned the surf industry on its head. Nobody knew where to get foam blanks anymore and and so they supplied everybody and and all of a sudden nobody could get the materials they needed to make surfboards and the reason they shut down and you can you can look this up but it was really because of 
developing kind of EPA rules and regulations around that industry. And they, you know, I really believe felt like they couldn't kind of keep up. They couldn't modify their business enough. And they've been doing it for a very long time. And the, you know, person that owned it just kind of said, time to bow out. So that opened up a lot of people's eyes to the fact that, hey, you know, most surfers think of them as they're, they're outdoorsy and they're pretty environmentally aware, but everybody's surfing these boards that are, you know, A, they're, they're made from pretty bad chemicals and B, they're, a lot of them are designed not to last very long. Mm. You know, it, it's something that most short boards, a lot of boards that are made overseas, they're just not intended to be used for more than a few years before they're just kind of worn out, whether they break in half or they just get all banged up. Right. So, you know, at that point, people really started to look for better alternatives to foam. So let's stay with surf culture for a little bit. It was never really part of my world, even though I grew up on an island. Yep. And then last year, I watched a documentary called uh, Momentum Generation. Yep. And I was completely sucked in by it in a way like I did not expect to get sucked in. And I'm not sure that was considered a fair or strong representation of the culture, but I was really blown away by it But as an outsider. Can you kind of put this culture and community into words beyond what listeners might perceive? Because it's like, you know, we're not just talking about a market. We are talking about a very spiritually aligned community that kind of lives very differently than the rest of us. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the culture a little bit? You know, it's funny because when I, growing up, I grew up down in New Jersey and we used to spend a lot of time on the Jersey Shore and I didn't surf as a kid, but I skateboarded it and I snowboarded and I rode, you know, BMX bikes. And we used to visit surf shops all the time. And this is just my own bias, but visiting surf shops kind of in the 70s, it wasn't a very inviting sport. You know, the middle of that, as I said, the kind of the shortboard revolution, like surfing was super aggressive at that time. It, it kind of turned its back on its roots a little bit. And it was very young and very aggressive and very kind of localized. I always felt like an outsider going into those shops and and the sport, it's just, you know, it never really appealed to me, but getting into it when I did, I really think, you know, the industry and the culture has changed a lot over the last 15, 20 years. It's so much more of kind of a family sport. You know, there's parents and kids that surf together. There's, it's very inviting. There's surf schools and clubs and the surf shops now you go into a shop and the, the people that work there, they're like outgoing and they're, so they love to tell you about surfboards. They love to share what they know. And they're, they're not just trying to sell you a board and get you out the door. You know, people are really invested in giving you the best experience that they can give you. So I, I do really think that as a culture, you know, it's very inviting and warming and, you know, it's just super inclusive. Like it's, cre it's kind of a creative environmentally aware community, I guess. And I think people are slowly tuning into the ocean and kind of the impacts we all have on, on the environment. Yeah. So if you ever get a chance to expand your product line, as you can imagine, growing up with the last name Maury, right. it's inevitable. Right. <laughs> Two, three times a year, somebody will be like, the boogie board guy. <laughs> and uh, sometimes I, I'll go with it, you know, depending on, you know, see how far it gets me. Yeah. But the product line itself is so interesting because when we look at the real craftsmanship that comes along with what you're doing, I know we just spent some time setting the table in terms of community and, and the industry, 
And before we get to the sustainability aspect of the business itself, one of my favorite parts of the show is asking the entrepreneur about his or her product. I was wondering if you could kind of take us on the journey and describe your boards and the works of art that these things are. Because I watch so many videos and I'm looking at these things and the end result is like, I mean, it's wild how yeah. beautiful they are. Can you just just talk? Talk about your babies. Yeah. I mean, we're we're so lucky to be able to do what we do because, you know, every board we build is truly kind of this really rewarding experience. And, you know, yes, we've spent a lot of time developing the process that we use and kind of perfecting the craft and the tools and the, you know, the very fine little details of shaping a board. But the reality is the wood, the material we use is just gorgeous. So no matter what happens, the boards are always beautiful. And and that's just thanks to, to nature and, you know, the story that every tree has and every piece of wood that we get coming through our shop. We really, from day one, wanted to build our own surfboard. You know, it was something that was really, you know, intriguing to us, kind of had to come up with a process that made sense. And sustainability was really important. Finding a way to kind of maximize the use of the material and, and reduce waste and all that was something that was really a big part of it from day one. But, you know, learning how to build a board took a long time. And we really always felt from day one that this was something we wanted to share with people. So as far as like our product line, I mean, we love building boards for people. That's kind of the heart of the business. We could talk about some of the different processes that we have now and the different products. But, you know, a big part of our product line, quote unquote, is really like the experience. We felt like, okay, once we figured out a way to build a board, and we put in so much research time and so much time kind of figuring out what type of tools to use and the different jigs and setups, we wanted to make it easier for other people. So sharing the experience with people has been a big part of our product line since the early days. We do that mainly through, we, we sell what we call homegrown surfboard kits. So we can kind of help people wherever they are around the world. Yeah, you know, we provide them with all the material. We kind, we kind of do all of the the hard part, you know, all the computer CAD work, like the design stuff, all the milling, anything that takes like the big expensive tools and, you know, know-how, we take care of that for them and send them all the material ready to go, you know, milled to exact specs, ready to put together into a board. So, you know, if you're at home or you're literally, we've had people in the military that are on a base in Iraq build boards, you know, anywhere you are, we send you the materials and you can get that experience and enjoy it. And there's so many rewards to the process of it. You know, when you build your own board, you're getting an appreciation for the product. Like you understand how it's put together and how it's shaped the way it is. And, you know, it's something that honestly, people have said, it's like having, you know, another family member, you know, in the room, it's literally something that just means so much to them. Aside from how the board surf, the process is just as valuable as the product. Uh, it's funny that, you know, I think you, you had uh, even mentioned in one of the interviews that I saw that when you got into the business, wood surfboards, they, they were considered so beautiful, you might find them hanging on somebody's wall. They were like furniture, but people weren't using them to surf anymore. Right. And there was something else that you just touched on that I saw. I think it was in the segment that you did on Bloomberg about the actual design process. So we'll talk about more of the handcrafted nature and the sustainability, but you actually design each board in CAD first, which is not a simple program. It's not, right. you can't just pick up CAD. Did you always know how to design in CAD and how did that come about? And is that normal? 
so I don't know how to use it at all. But um, my business partner, who's um, kind of semi-retired from grain now, but he literally did teach himself how to use, we use a program called Rhino, which is a 3D modeling program. He literally taught himself how to use it. And we developed over the years some really sophisticated tools that are kind of tied into Rhino to help us not design boards. I mean, when you're designing a surfboard, you're literally design. It's a 3D model. You could be designing anything. Doesn't matter what the product is. You're designing it from space. Right. What we've really put a lot of time into is taking. Okay, we have this 3D model that looks beautiful and it's fair, and you can spin it around and see every different shape. But building tools to allow us to take that model and break it down into all the the internal parts that define that shape. Mm -hmm. So. You know, it's a process that's super repetitive. You'd have to do the same thing every time you design a new board. Right. There's the outside that you can see, right. but the, the inside, the guts of it, and it's, you know, it's a shame it's a podcast, and that's why everybody's going to have to go to your site to watch right. these videos, because <laughs> the inside has these really intricate, very precisely measured layers of supporting blocks that go all along the way. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so I like to think about our process kind of in three steps. Like you have the the CAD side that's super advanced, very high tech, you know, a little bit nerdy, but really necessary to be able to do what we do. And then from that, we can take all the design parts. There's a whole internal skeleton kind of frame that makes up, that defines the board. I mean, it, it's kind of like building a house. You know, you frame out a house there's all the two by fours, you can see the basic shape, and then you put plywood on it and siding and there it is. So we have a CNC machine in our shop, and we cut out all the internal parts. And part of what this program does for us is that we tell it, okay, where's the hardware going? Where are the fins going? Or, you know, where do we need extra blocking? Or where do we need internal templates to help us define the shape? And this process that we've built cranks all that stuff out. So then we can take that file, it's much more complicated than this, but, you know, take that, send it to the CNC machine and cut out those parts. So the whole internal part of the board is very high tech and it's all managed, you know, through this computer program, fed to a CNC machine, which is a big robotic router, basically, that cuts, you know, very precisely based on a computer file. So the whole inside of the board is cut that way. And then the outside of the board, that's kind of when we shift gears and everything becomes much more traditional and we're, and we're, you know, we're milling cedar and we'll get into, I assume, kind of where all the materials come from. But the handling and processing of all the cedar that we use for the outside of the board is done in a very traditional way. Everything's built by hand using essentially zero power tools. I mean, of course, there's the milling a table saw for straightening planks, but the actual process of building the board is we don't have a single power tool in the main shop room. Mm. You know, everything is hand clamps, hand planes, spoke shaves, draw knives, all very traditional tools you would find in a barn, you know, if you're timber framing. Well, you, you mentioned somewhere along the way that also you try to reuse as much of the wood scrap as possible. What does that look like in practice? Yeah, I mean, we kind of have this little phrase, we, we say waste, no waste. And basically, it's every step of the process, we're generating an offcut. You know, if you're straightening a plank, you're, you're getting a little thin edging that comes off the, the plank. Or if we're building a 7-6 board and we have an 8-foot plank, we have a 6-inch piece that we're cutting off the end. 
we truly have kind of a place all around the shop where all these little pieces get collected, boxes and bins and things like that, barrels. Each offcut gets saved and gets repurposed into something smaller. It's almost mm-hmm. like everything's getting filtered with like a finer and finer filter, basically, um, until it really just becomes kindling, you know, in our wood stove and we heat our shop in the winter with all our scraps. You know, we're able to make all the little pieces that make up the rails of our board. Really, a lot of that comes from the edgings of straightening planks and all the blocking comes from cutoffs. And, you know, we make smaller products like hand planes, which are little body surfing, little mini surfboards that you put your hand on when you're body surfing. And those are all made from cutoffs of planks. So, you know, very little goes out of our shop. Really, nothing goes out as crap. Like our dust collection from all our machinery, that all gets bagged up. And one of the guys that works here has horses and he takes it home and it's bedding for his horses. Or we'll send it to somebody down the road that has sheep. Amazing. Really, everything's getting used, you know, on some level. All right. So you have this very 360 look at the process itself, and but the product, yes, it's beautiful. Yes, it's handcrafted, but it's sophisticated in its design. Your product also has to be a, a high performance product though as well. 100%. The, the thought process and, and the iterations that go through making it high performance, what makes wood in your mind, in your experience now as a user of your own product, as a surfer, What makes wood still such a viable material? Well, for one thing, so our boards are hollow. If we built solid cedar surfboards, they'd be heavy and they wouldn't perform. And really, our whole kind of mantra, like our objective from day one is we want people to have our boards, you know, we want them to work. We want them to be able to surf them. We want them to compare with any other modern surfboard that you can buy these days. So if somebody comes to us and says, I really just want a wall hanger, unless it's COVID times, you know, we're kind of just saying, no, you know, we really want to build boards for people that are going to surf them. And if they want to hang them on the wall when they're not using them, great. But, um, you know, we truly want these boards to be surfed. They belong in the water. So the process we have kind of evolved, it keeps the boards as light as possible without sacrificing strength. Basically, if you weigh one of our boards compared to the same shape in a a well-glass kind of handmade foam surfboard, it's mm-hmm. actually very similar weight, you know, within a pound or two. Um, if you compare it to kind of something that's a little cheaper and maybe mass-produced overseas, they might be a little heavier. The difference is that our boards really do last a long time. They hold up much better. Um, they don't show, you know, wood has this amazing, these amazing properties where they it can absorb dents and dings and bounce back. It has flex. You know, if you walk walk on a wooden floor, you know, it's kind of bounces under your feet. A lot of people prefer wooden boats because they, they're better on your back than a fiberglass boat. Or if you're working in a shop, you want a wood floor, not a concrete floor, because all those hours spent standing on wood just is better for you. And the same thing goes for surfboards. You know, they just have kind of a flex and they have memory and they just handle day-to-day use without showing wear and tear. And we truly can take a surfboard that we built five years ago and clean the wax off of it, the stuff you put on your board to stick to it, and um, it can look as good as the day we finished it. They don't show pressure dents the way foam does. You know, you, you can bang them up on the rocks, and they're going to need a little bit of work, but uh, kind of the normal day-to-day stuff, they just take it. Amazing. 
Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk to Mike about how to grow a specialty handcrafted product, sustainability, and a lot more. Is your company looking to scale? Mori Creative Studios is a Diamond HubSpot partner agency that helps organizations leverage HubSpot's platform to achieve sustainable and predictable growth. From video production and inbound content marketing to sales and customer retention strategies, Mori Creative Studios provides comprehensive digital solutions for your company so you can grow for good. Visit moricreative.com to learn more. Welcome back to Grow For Good, where we talk to business leaders who are changing the world with the good they do and finding success in doing it. Today, we're speaking with Mike Lavecchia, founder of Grain Surfboards in Maine. So, Mike, we spent the first half of the show talking about your industry and the product and the culture to kind of understand the mindset of your consumer. But a massively important piece of this mindset is a genuine love for the ocean and for nature. So let's get into the sustainability piece of the puzzle. Can you walk us through what makes your process sustainable and how you look to reduce your impact on the environment in all ways? Because reading, again, through your materials, it's been an evolution and you guys never seem to settle. You're always thinking about what's next. So bring us through the process and how much it is imbued in the culture of grain surfboards. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I really have to say is like, we're so fortunate to have an amazing crew here in the shop that are beyond dedicated, pushing us every day. You know, nobody's coming to the shop just to kind of get through the day and do what they have to do and go home. I mean, people are so invested in pushing us along, coming up with new shapes, evolving the process, sharing it with more people. So we're just super lucky in that way. We've got a great crew of people here. Our first surfboards that we built back in 2005. We always work with wood. I, I've personally, I've never shaped a foam surfboard. So starting out, you know, I came at this kind of from, well, this is how you build a wooden boat. Let's try to build a wooden surfboard. And really the best wood that was available in those days was something you could buy at the lumber store. Basically, it was a kind of a cedar from the West Coast. It was easy to get and it worked well for surfboards. So we bought a few boards worth of wood and that's what we started with. But, you know, as we started to, get along and kind of figure out like, hey, this is something we want to keep doing. We knew we needed to find a local source of material. You know, that was something that was always pretty key to the whole thing. We wanted to be able to support mills and and landowners here in Maine. And so we found this little mill up in northern Maine and literally called them one day, said, you know, we're trying to build a couple surfboards and we wanted to try out their specialty is northern white cedar, which is very common wood here in Maine. And they shipped us down. They shrunk wrapped six planks and shipped them down to us and just said, give it a try. Let us know what you think. And we Mm -hmm. milled it up and built a couple boards and just absolutely loved the material. It was just perfect. Were those boards good? Looking back with your lens today, were they good? It's funny. I mean, they're actually not in our shop. Some of those boards, you know, they're out in customers' homes or wherever they are. And I literally, I would love to get them back. And, you know, and I've offered a few people like, Hey, if you want to give that back to us, I will build you a new board. You know, we'll just swap it out. But, you know, they don't want to do it. They won't send them back. (laughs) So, yeah, there's a handful of boards out there that I would love to have back. But I still have photos of them all. And and some of those first ones were, you know, a mix of red cedar and white cedar. We just kind of combined, you know, the woods. It's funny to look at like the first six photos of boards. It was like all red, 
half red, half white, and then all white, <laughs> you know, and it was like, okay, now we know what we're doing. And, you know, we ordered our first load of white cedar from this mill, probably a thousand feet or I don't know what it was at the time. We literally are using the same mill today. We get a hundred percent of our wood from them. And it's a, maybe a two person operation in Northern Maine. All they wow. do is mill cedar. And we use really kind of the cream of the crop. Like we want wood. A lot of cedar can be a little knotty, but it's cedar super rot resistant, very stable. Bugs don't like it. It's the reason why, you know, it's used as siding or it's used for fence posts or log homes because it's just a stable, long lasting material, which just means it works great in surfboards too. And it's light. We have been using the same mill since day one. And, uh, you know, three or four times a year, we order up a few thousand feet of wood and he loads it up and comes down. So he literally, as he's milling logs, anything that looks good, they have the grain pile and they just stack it off to the side and hold it until we call and say, okay, we're ready for some more wood. And we just have an amazing relationship with uh, the uh, owner, just an awesome guy, loads the trailer, drives down himself, you know using local wood and, and wood that's sustainably managed, which cedar in Maine is, has been really kind of one of our first core values. And it's funny, we still use little bits of red cedar in our boards for accents and stringers and stripes, mm -hmm. but all of it comes from, it's all reclaimed. We, we've bought old decking planks from local builders that we know that have, you know, replaced the deck of a house and it's been red cedar and we'll buy it and mill the wood, mill all the screw holes out of it. So any red cedar we use is all reclaimed, kind of repurposed wood. So what about the resin coating, the, the, the high gloss? That may, how, do you, how do you do that in a sustainable way? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's, you know, that is the one area where there's not a perfect solution yet because there's so much strength in the structure of our boards. We don't need, we actually don't need fiberglass on the boards to make them strong. Where most foam surfboards, they really rely on the glass to, you know, if you took a foam board out, it would probably break if you surfed it without any fiberglass. Our boards, you could jump up and down on them. They're fine. We just need to kind of seal the board, keep the water out. Mm. So we are able to use a much lighter glass than you would normally use on a board. And then for about probably 12 years now, we've worked with a company called Entropy Epoxy. It was started by two brothers that were big surfers. And their mission was really to, to create basically like an eco-friendly epoxy that's made from different natural ingredients. You know, they replace some of the, some of the chemicals in the epoxy with bio-based things. And, and some of it comes from kind of the waste stream from the biofuels industry and actually mm. the waste stream of paper pulp, mm. like the paper pulp industry. So they're two amazing guys brilliant and and they've developed all sorts of different bio-based resins and we use a couple of their different types and you like the way it handles you like the way it works and and it, it does the job it's great it's amazing stuff if you took the labels off the bottles it's very similar to other epoxies it's a chemical reaction there are still chemicals in it but um you know it works very much like any other epoxies but the nice thing is it's it's zero voc so when you're working in the shop mm. You know, there's no smell, there's no toxic, you know, ingredients in the air. When you're sanding it, you know, you want to wear a dust mask, respirator, things like that. So you're not breathing in the, the epoxy dust. But otherwise, you know, working with it, it kind of helps us to keep the, the workplace as healthy as possible. 
You added another technology, I think fairly recently, or maybe within the last couple of years, called GreenRail. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah. So that's actually really new. It's really only been out for about a month. It's something we've worked on for a couple of years. We've been trying different types of recycled plastics in our boards. Again, one of those things like we're always just evolving and trying things and experimenting. And what's kind of what keeps it interesting in the shop, especially during the long, cold winters. (laughs) We eventually were turned on to this material that is made from 100% recycled plastic bottles. It comes in different forms and different densities. and, And it's mostly used in the marine industry, like for cores and boats, boat hulls and boat decks. It's used in fabricating windmill, like wind vane blades, anything that's really big and composite construction and needs to be lightweight. So we, over the years, got some different samples of different densities and tried it in a number of different ways. But um, in the last year or so, we've been playing around with using it as an alternative as kind of a rail construction on our boards. So in our traditional wood construction, a lot of the manufacturing, kind of the building time is in the rail. If you look at a cross section of our surfboards, they're hollow, and there's basically a quarter inch of material around this hollow space. The top and the bottom of the surfboard is relatively flat and easy to build. You know, we we can build those with wide planks and that can get put together pretty quickly. But the rails of the surfboard is where all the shape happens. Mm -hmm. You know, you have the outline changing, you know, like it's uh, an egg, you know, so it's round in the tail and round in the nose. And then you also have the rocker, kind of the lift in the nose and the tail. And then also the, the board gets thinner at the end. So you have, you know, the rails changing shape as it goes down the board. To build that in wood and keep it hollow, a lot of people build their rails out of solid wood and then shape it. But that adds a lot of weight. And it, you know, in my mind, kind of adds a lot of weight in the outside of the board where you don't want it. So our process, the rails are really hollow. If you cut away a board in half and you can look at it. So that's what takes the most time um, is building the rails of the board. It's lots of little pieces that are fit together. So with this green rail technology, we basically have changed the way we build the rails of the board and we utilize this recycled plastic. It's a thermo moldable material, so you can heat it up and bend it around shapes it's really been fun and interesting to play around. And, and I guess the main benefit of this is for us, it's something new and it's, you know, it's always fun to kind of have something new to wrap our head around and perfect, but it it enables us to offer a board at a substantially lower price because the labor that goes into the board is pretty reduced. Okay. So from a 360 sustainability perspective, we've talked about using reclaimed wood for accents using local wood for your baseline product. We're talking now about uh, using recycled materials wherever possible. But then there's what you're replacing, right? So the, the, the actual fiberglass and polyurethane boards that you're replacing are fairly destructive to the environment. I, I'm wondering how much of the decision-making process is with that in mind, when you talk to some of maybe the younger eco-conscious consumers, are they seeking you out saying, I just can't do it. I, I have to, I have to have wood. There are people that, you know, that think along those lines. Um, I would say a lot of our customers, you know, we find are like, 
people that have followed us for a long time, for years, you know, and they've always wanted to, it's kind of like one of those bucket list items, you know, and, and I would say primarily because before the green rail, you know, are, are, they are more expensive. I mean, there's a lot of time and a lot of labor and a lot of material that goes into each board. So it's hard if somebody's going to go to a shop and spend 800 bucks on a board, you know, we're not really a good alternative to that because we're three times the price. But I did see that that the average surfer can have somewhere between three and four boards, the average enthusiast, at a time. So they'll have that in their, yeah. their, their little arsenal there. Yeah. So I can imagine people peeling off and saying, I'm just going to get the best one that I can. And then maybe I'll have a couple of other boards as well. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's totally true. You know, when you surf, most people have, yeah, three to four different boards for different conditions, you know, wave heights and things like that. So people will say like, I'm going to get, you know, my grain board is like my special board. I take out when the conditions are just right or when, you know, it's my long board. So typically most of our shapes, they're long boards or they're kind of more traditional short boards that really benefit from, you know, maybe that little bit of extra weight. You know, that weight translates to kind of more speed and more drive and, you know, more of a fluid type of surfing. So it works really well for kind of more traditional boards. So yeah, a lot of people will say like, they're still going to have their two or three foam boards for big days when they just want, they want like a performance shortboard, something that they can do airs on. But they, you know, the grain board kind of fills that. It's that perfect chest high day, super clean. You know, they just want to be on that board. And we have truly customers that just text us six in the morning as the sun's coming up a picture of their board on the beach and they're just like, I didn't pack any other board. You know, it's just, I, I think there's like a special meaning for people that do buy our boards. It is something that people really kind of wait for, dream up, kind of wait for the perfect time. And, and that goes for whether they're buying a board because they have to save up or they really want to come and build it themselves and they just need the right window in their lives. You know, it's like mm-hmm. they have kids or they have a full-time job or they're traveling a lot and they just need the stars to align. And then that's like, that's it. So let's round out the discussion with sort of the business case for grain, because I think I saw that it can take somewhere between 40 and 60 hours to produce each board all in. How do you achieve scale to begin to make a discernible impact? What is, and what does scale look like for you? Oh boy, that's a tough one. I mean, we're pretty poor business people. Um, <laughs> you know, we're pretty focused on just coming to work every day and enjoying what we do and obviously paying the bills and keeping up and making sure everyone's getting paid every day. But for us, this is kind of about creating really, it's a little cliche, but just kind of a good lifestyle, like something that we can all enjoy. We love being around each other every day. Yeah, Mike, you're describing the meaning of life, by the way. So (laughs) so maybe it's everybody else that's not a good business person, but go on. Yeah, You know, it's just hard. And so what it's funny though, because it takes a lot of little things to make this business work. It's a lot of little pieces that have to fit together to make it, you know, to kind of make it tick. And if one of those things changes, you know, it can have a dramatic impact. So we offer classes, you know, we teach people that aren't really up for building a board at home. They're just too nervous or there's something that prohibits them from doing it. And the classes are great. And in the summer, that keeps us really busy. And then we have the kits. And the kits really work well kind of in the off-season when people are maybe 
maybe they're not surfing as much and they're inside more and they need something to do, those work really well. And then the custom boards just kind of are fill in around all those other things. And, you know, we have lots of other little products. We sell digital like plans. If you want to build a board truly from scratch, we'll sell you plans for all of our shapes and you can cut them out and go get all your own materials and do it all yourself. So we have a lot of different levels, kind of like points of entry, if you will, depending on like how big of an experience you want. So all of those things really have to kind of come together to keep keep us going. Well, I did notice that you, in terms of increasing your footprint, you increased your awesomeness quotient by a magnitude of infinity by opening here on Long Island in my home base. So, right. you know, we don't always get the coolest things here. So I wondered if you were like, hey, let's move to Long Island, thinking it was Long Island, Maine, which is actually a thing. <laughs> right. And you just wound up here by accident. Right, or, right, right. Tell us about the New York store. Well, that's a good story. We had two brother-in-laws come and take a class from us, probably now like five or six years ago. One of them lived in Rhode Island and was worked at a winery and was kind of a property manager. And the other one uh, lives in New York City and works kind of on Wall Street. And they came up as a, just a bonding experience. They wanted to just do something together. One of them originally was from Maine, so they had roots here. And they basically came up and took a workshop and just loved it, loved everything about it. You know, love being able to share the experience with each other. And, uh, you know, it was great. I think they camped out at our old shop. And a few months later, they contacted us and said, you guys, we just loved this experience. And, you know, we want to we wanna figure out a way to help share it with more people. And basically, they kind of pitched us with the idea to open up a shop in Amagansett, New York. We spent a lot of time talking about it because that wasn't really something that was in our plan. but. Um, over six months or so, they convinced us that it was a good idea. So that shop, it's part of Grain, and it's run by these two guys that, that are uh, 100% committed to offering the, the experience to people down on Long Island. They're We're pretty just, good at talking people into things, just saying. Yeah, yeah exactly, right. <laughs> yeah, it was fun kind of having them come up, and you know, we'd sit at the table and just kind of be like, our minds were pretty made up, like, no, this is a bad idea. It doesn't make any sense. You know, and an hour later, we're just like shaking hands. Okay, let's give it a try. You know, truly, it's been great. And they're, they're so dedicated to, you know, what grain is all about. They've worked so hard at it. And their business model is a little different because the clientele is a little different. People come out to Amagansett and spend different amounts of time. So, you know, they're catering to kind of, what people want. And they're doing a lot of kids programs. They're doing skateboard building workshops, which, you know, younger kids just love. It's a shorter experience, kind of a half day thing. You know, they've gotten super integrated into the community. So that's been really great. Well, a couple of rapid fire questions before uh, we leave off with anything that you want to make sure you let our listeners know. The first one is, have you trained anybody or anybody come along in the shop who's as good as you are? at building a board? <laughs> um, probably the two guys that work here in the shop building boards are better than I am. You know, they're spending a lot more time doing it these days. But uh, them and Brian, who runs the New York shop, you know, they're, that's, you know, we get students that come through and some of them just stand out. You know, they just get it. They pick up the tool and you don't even have to show them how to use it, even though they've never used it before. So there are people that really stand out. But the nice thing about this is by the end of the class, 
everybody's got it. You know, everybody's gone through the experience and, you know, we, we can kind of like fine tune the level of help that we give people almost without them noticing it specifically when, you know, when we're teaching people, but you can, you can kind of just, you know, we're always kind of hovering, but without letting people know we're there, you know, just watching from the sideline and fade in and pick up a tool and help somebody who's a little behind, but everybody at the end truly goes through the process on their own and builds a beautiful board. We've never had a board leave the shop, you know, that isn't hundred percent. So can a grain board be used in competition? For sure. I think like I was saying about our boards, like longboard competitions, mm-hmm. they would work great. You know, and we, we have a lot of pro surfers that have our boards, mostly that have come and built boards, like as something we've invited them to classes or they've reached out. You know, I'd say kind of like the world pro tour level of surf contests. You know, maybe not. I don't think our boards are really designed for that type of surfing, but you know, we've definitely had boards in some contests. And can you ever see yourself not doing this? It's funny. I don't. I don't. I don't know what else. I, I truly love coming to work every day. I mean, I I wake up and if somebody texts me and says, hey, let's have coffee, I get a little anxious because I just want to get to the top. <laughs> so I don't think I'll do anything else. You know, I mean, who knows? What, what are people do? What do surfers do when they get older and have a harder time popping up and things like that. I, I don't really know what's going to happen, but hopefully I'll be building boards till my hands are arthritic. When I went through the press section of the site and the updates and, and the blog, that's I, I told you in the beginning, I kind of went down the rabbit hole and got lost in the company and the culture and just how committed and and warm and loving you guys are about everything. It seems like you always have a million things kind of on your minds or on the horizon or what somebody might look at and say, oh, they make boards was really a whole fascinating, wonderful universe that I loved exploring for a little while. So I'm sure that I didn't cover some things that are super important to you. Is there anything that you want our listeners to know before we go? You know, I guess just kind of the main thing is just with this year being as weird as it is, we're feeling pretty distant, distanced, <laughs> whatever the word is, from people. You know, we miss everybody, I guess. You know, we usually this time of year kind of celebrating the the coming of the fall season and the better surfing season. We try to get everybody together and, you know, there's a, there's a pretty big community around this thing. And, you know, we're just looking forward to kind of when this is all over and getting back to normal and having some fun. I love it. Mike Lavecchia is the founder of Grain Surfboards. Thanks for your time today. And to learn more about Mike's incredible journey and to see these stunning boards they produce, please, please visit grainsurfboards.com and uh, get in touch with them because if you've ever had a dream of doing something super, super cool, this might be the place for you. Mike, thanks for the time today. Thanks so much, Jed. As always, we appreciate you tuning in. If you have any suggestions for a guest on the show, feel free to email us at growforgood at moricreative.com. And if you enjoy the show, like us, rate us, review us, share us, wherever you download your podcasts. The Grow for Good podcast is produced and distributed by Mori Creative Studios, a Diamond HubSpot partner agency that helps organizations leverage HubSpot to achieve sustainable growth. Grow for Good is a registered trademark of Mori Creative Studios. This is a Mori Creative Studios podcast.